This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. Uh, with us on the phone is Ronald um, Campbell, an investigative reporter for the Orange County Register. Welcome, Ron. Thank you, Dan. Good to be with you. Great. Uh, you're the author of a four-part series that's been running in the Orange County Register on immigration and the California economy. Um, how did you get started on this project, and why did the Register feel it was important enough to devote uh, so many uh, articles to it? Well, first, it, it was my thought that immigration was a huge and volatile debate that had a tremendous amount of public interest. And, and second, it seemed to me that in all the political discussion, people were losing track of, of the idea that people came here for economic opportunities. So I wanted to explore the economic impact of immigrants on the California economy. And my editors thought from the beginning that it was rather ambitious, but they thought it was worth pursuing. Because after all, as issues go in California, they don't come much bigger than immigration. It's a hot-button issue, definitely. Uh, we're talking with Ron Campbell. This is Dan Sung on the Subversity Show here on KUCI. Uh, it's the first uh, article that I've seen in any newspaper almost that's footnoted. Yes, and this was a difficult thing for us. Our, our production system, I, I know that sounds petty, but... A newspaper is sort of like a, a locomotive or a jet engine. It's designed to go in one direction. <laughs> and, and footnoting is definitely not part of the way it's, it's built. So this took a lot of innovations on, on many people's part to get this done. I know. So that, the, 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 yeah. reason, the reason we did it, the reason we thought it was so important to break our own systems in order to do it, was because of the enormous public skepticism over anything having to do with immigration. We thought it was important to share with readers exactly what our sources were and exactly why we came to the conclusions that we did. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I remember when I was, uh, I used to teach a class that put out a Asian American newspaper on campus, and I was always trying to get the students to footnote their articles, and they um, were kind of last-minute uh, kind of thing for them. They always, right before it was printed, they would <laughs> say, oh, we have to find a source for this. And so it was kind of, wasn't the kind of prodigious uh, effort that you guys put in. Um, and you also not only did footnote everything, you also uh, explained what the numbers were, uh, how you gathered the numbers, and also uh, had links on the website to charts and tables and uh, maps and graphics. Yes, and with the same general principle in mind, we wanted to be transparent with our readers. We wanted them to see what we had seen. Have, do you know of any evidence that people are clicking on the tables or the graphics? Uh, not yet. I can only hope that they are. I just checked the archived edition of the register, which we get on uh, Access World News, mm -hmm. which is a product from Newsbank. And they actually have uh, some numbering to show how many footnotes there were, but you can't get the footnotes. Oh. Well, I, I'm, <laughs> I can't I'm, very click on, I'm clicking on them, and they don't go anywhere. I'm very sorry about that. That's beyond our control. Yeah, and, of course, none of the uh, attachments or the charts or the Excel charts, for instance, are online uh, in that uh, database. Which means you're just going to have to go to... Uh, to you're just going to have to go to ocregister.com. <laughs> Is there any, uh, did you guys think about what to do after a year, for instance, if the website is down or whatever? Uh, are you, is there a way to permanently put them somewhere? We have not thought about that. As a general rule, everything we publish is archived. What do you mean archived? <laughs> I, I mean that you can find stories that we published two years ago on our website. With somewhat more work, you can find stories we published 10 years ago. You can't find those on our website, but we do have them. We do have find ways of getting to them. 
and, so, and retrieving them. So if, if something was published in the register, for, for example, a story by me in 1990, I know I can find it. It may t- take a while, but it's there. It hasn't been lost. Were you here in 1990? Yes, I was. Oh, wow. Uh, so uh, uh, did you transition to become an investigative reporter since then? I was hired to do investigations and projects. Wow. Now, now I've done many, many other things over the years, but that's always been something that the paper wanted me to do and that I wanted to do. And um, you survived the layoffs, I guess, huh? or the early buyouts and whatever of many of your colleagues. I hesitate to say survived when I'm not sure if there will be more. But I have survived so far, and it's, it's been difficult. Many fine journalists have had to leave the register and have had to leave the business at other papers. I've been one of the lucky ones so far. Why, um, why expend so much energy and time and money in, in this series, then? Um, how, do, how did you convince the editors to, to agree with you on taking this on? It wasn't that hard. The... Editors, especially our top editor, Ken Brusick, he personally has long wanted to do something comprehensive on immigration. He has long thought that that was a story that we needed to invest a lot of time in. Did the, uh, did the politics of the paper have anything to do with it? No. No. The, <laughs> the editorial page folks stay on the fifth floor. Uh, the news folks stay on the third floor. And we mingle in the cafeteria on the fourth floor, and that's about it. So the libertarian focus of the founders of the paper, for instance, uh, that didn't influence you in any way? No. No. What, what captured my attention was two things. One, the sheer volume uh, of argument over immigration, not just illegal immigration, remember, remember but all immigration. And, and I thought, as a reporter... Wouldn't it be nice if there were some facts on the table? And, and the second thing was that as someone who has done a lot of business reporting, it seemed to oh, me right. that this was an enormously important business story that needed to be told. And do you, are you uh, pleased with the reaction so far? or What has been the reaction? Well, the reaction has been mixed. Uh, many people writing or calling to say that I was... Uh, basically covering up for illegal immigrants. Uh, some others, especially with, with uh, this weekend story, saying thank you for finally saying what a horrible job the government has been doing with illegal immigrants. And then also reaction from many people, from some people in academia, saying how surprised they were that a newspaper was willing to go this deep to try to explain what was going on. And... and that has been very good for me. I, I've enjoyed that. I'm a, as you know, I'm a data librarian, and uh, my colleagues around the country, uh, some have talked to me or emailed me, and were impressed that you actually um, focus on the data and try to, you know, of course there are narratives, there are stories from individuals to make sense of the data, but you also present the data in a way that's more easily uh, digestible. Um, I understand you went to a workshop at UC Berkeley on uh, reporting and the use of data. I, I've taught at and I've been a student at many workshops on using data. The, the, the one that I would bring to mind, though, was not at UC Berkeley, though I did go to one there, uh-huh. but one at Arizona State on statistical analysis that really helped me in, in terms of trying to decide how to approach this story. How did it help? Well, it was, it was described as a statistics boot camp, which means that we spent all day, every day for four days, mired in statistics trying to figure out how to analyze them using uh, statistical software and, and also talking, you know, as reporters and editors, about how do we make this clear? How do you explain some of this stuff in, in English as opposed to acade- academic English? Uh, but, but I started learning some lessons there that I applied in this series. So to avoid jargon, then, is oh, that one of the... Yes, dictates? yes. 
Yeah, and because academic uh, papers can be very dry. Well, academics are writing, by and large, not exclusively, but by and large, for other academics, right. and it is very important for them to be very precise in their meaning. And the penalty that carries is that a lot of the time they write in jargon that can only be understood by other academics. Uh, in, in a sense, I'm freed from that. As a reporter, I don't write in jargon. No one expects me to write in jargon. And the academics who were kind enough to say that they liked my stories didn't expect me to write in jargon. So I, I'm, I'm free to use ordinary English to describe things that normally aren't discussed outside economic and sociology papers. But, you know, academics also are cautious about interpreting their data uh, because they know that not everything can be explained. Right. So were there instances that you had to choose between different types of data? Yeah, and let me give you an example. One of the things that I've tried hardest to do is to figure out the pattern in wages and in the number of immigrants by occupation. Now, now there are hundreds of occupations, uh, and in, in trying to figure out patterns over a period from 1970 to 2008, I, I hit a huge problem. <laughs> the, 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 they, they didn't have computer nerds then. Well, no, no, the records were all there. The problem was... No, I meant the occupation wasn't on, on, on using computers. Well, well, there were a few, but there were very few. <laughs> but the, the problem was that when I started crunching the data, I realized that looking at the data for 2008, uh, a lot of it for that year for many occupations was a mishmash. The, the, the data seemed to suggest one thing, but when you calculated the margin of error, and I did, you, you found that the results weren't significant. To put that in plain English, the results didn't mean a thing. So I had to start over, and I realized that if I took data from a three-year period, 2006 through 2008, and crunched it the exact same way, all of a sudden, I had meaningful data. So when you narrowed the, right. the time period? Well, when I widened the time period. I widened it, sorry, yeah. Yeah, uh, but th the problem with that, of course, is I, I wanted to compare single years, 1970 versus 1980 versus 1990 versus 2000 versus 2008. Well, I couldn't do that. Was it I, I, I could do the, 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 the decennials, the 1970 through 2000 every 10 years. I could not do 2008 alone. I had to combine three years in order to get usable data. Was it the because the cells were too small? Yes. The, yeah. the, the, the uh, numbers were the, 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 the numbers were too small. Yeah. And so, so, so that was a sense in, in, in which I, I had to compromise my original objective in, in order to come up with numbers that would stand up in the light of day. So, among all the articles you've written, are, are you most proud of this one? Um, re remember what uh, one of the top Chinese folks, I think it was uh, not Mao, but, but his right-hand man said about the French Revolution back in the 70s when asked what he thought about it. His reply was, too soon to tell. You quote him in that, right? in the article. <laughs> Actually, I don't, but... Okay. Uh, I read it somewhere. Yes. <laughs> somewhere I read it. Yeah. But I don't know. that We're halfway through a four-part series, uh, and I don't know what all the reactions are going to be. I don't know if there will be opportunities for me to do something else that might extend the series further. To date, the work I am proudest of is something that in which I was one of three writers back in 2000 on the buying and selling of used body parts. Including at UCI, right? The story was, in fact, prompted by the firing of the head of the Wilt Body Program at UCI. That was what started that story. And, and that story led to reforms at the federal level for, tissue bank, for the tissue bank industry. Now, I don't know if, if this one is going to have anything like that impact. But we'll see. 
In terms of legislation, I mean, right now there's the Dream Act going through Congress. Are or, gonna, or or not? Or not? Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to mention that in your in your upcoming stories? Uh, there will be a reference to it in in part four. Mm. Um, you know, not as you know anything I would advocate or not advocate, but just as one of the possibilities for action before Congress. So the the goal is to come up with some uh, analysis of policy reform uh, options. Well, my goal first and foremost is to inject some facts into an overheated debate. It definitely is overheated, especially yeah. here. Yeah. Well, not just here. It's, right. it's it's you know you will hear people in you know virtually every wing of every political party saying things that, you know, have some emotional impact, but they're not citing numbers, they're not trying to say these are what the facts on the ground are. And I think my role as a journalist is to try to find out what the facts are, and then lay them before the public. And then it's up to the public to decide what, if anything, to do about those facts. Now, last week I wrote a story that a lot of people criticized, saying that California is addicted to immigrant labor, that we are essentially dependent on labor uh, from people born abroad. Uh, a lot of people, as I said, did not like that. This, this week I have a story saying that, in essence, the government has been pouring billions of dollars at the border while ignoring the reason people come here illegally, which is to work. And until you start dealing with that reality, you will not control illegal immigration. That is a somewhat less unpopular statement. But at the same time, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people in Congress saying, Let's divert billions of dollars from the Border Patrol and put it into step up, stepped-up worksite enforcement. You, you told me uh, earlier uh, on the phone, actually, that um, the initial reaction last week was f- four to one against your article? About. Yeah. So now it's more equal? Or? Well, at least this week it's more equal. I, I, I am sure that before the end it will swing back to four to one. <laughs> And this is, uh, but, but you know that that's not really terribly important. I, I've gotten some facts out there, and maybe in, in some small measure that will help to shape the debate. I mean, you're a believer in numbers, but uh, how about the reaction from a member of the public that says that, uh, for instance, they would say, "Oh, uh, numbers lie, so you can just make well, whatever you want out of it." You know, it is true that uh, there are numbers that lie. There's no question about that. What I think is important is to examine the evidence that we're presenting. Go ahead and look at it. We put it out there for a reason. We want people to look at it. If our numbers are not the best, come up with better numbers. If there's something suspect about our numbers, tell us what it is. But to simply say some numbers lie, therefore these numbers must lie, is, is I, I think, ignoring the value of the work we've done here. There is a lot of solid information in these stories, no matter what your politics are. I know in, your, um, in the write-up for the series at a glance, the um, the four days are uh, highlighted, and then under t- uh, yesterday's, uh, it says four more than ten million undocumented immigrants. Uh, so that's a kind of a a good word, a good choice of word for me. I mean, I like the fact that you use undocumented. Well, well, I've got to point out to you that most of the time in the story we use the phrase illegal immigrant, and the reason we do so is that the registered style book which basically determines the way that, you know, our word usage says that 
our preferred usage is illegal immigrants. Ah. So it's, you know, there were times when just because of the construction of a sentence or a paragraph, I would use undocumented because I didn't want to say illegal two or three times in one paragraph. Uh, but I, I, in, in yeah. general, in general, that is the preferred usage, and it, it's simply a style decision. It's not because we think that people who are here illegally are terrible people. It's because, as a matter of clarity, style, that is the term that is used here. I got criticized when I did my uh, Immigrants in the OC and Beyond exhibit at UC Irvine Libraries uh, for using the term undocumented alien. And, uh, and I, I was just... And were they from Mars or Jupiter or, or perhaps... I know, the people got <laughs> upset at that. Well, one person did. And, um, and he was a friend of mine and, uh, and an activist locally. Um, so, I mean, words do matter, I guess. Um, and, uh, but who, you don't write the headlines, right? No, I do not. I, no, I, writing a headline is a gift. You, you've got to be able to summarize a 70-inch story in 10 words or less, usually a lot less. And that is a gift I do not have. So the word addicted, did you write that? Or? Well, actually, the lead to the story I wrote. And so that's the reason why addicted made it in. And, on the, on I, and I was trying to figure out a way to say, how do you say that California is dependent on on immigrants for its workforce? And I came at it several different ways, and what I finally ended up with was, was we are addicted to immigrant labor. Oh, now, now I, I know that there are yeah. people who won't like that particular word, but right. you know, you spend some time around a subject, and in, in, in time you... You, you have to decide how you're going to explain it to others who have not spent the, the same amount of time. Um, in, the, in the print edition, at least, uh, it, it's the headline for that first uh, article in the series uh, was dependent on a workforce of immigrants. And on the front cover, it said a state powered by immigrants. Yes. So those kind of give a different take on it. Yeah, and, and each of those, I think, depends largely on the headline writer, and also on the amount of space available. Um, and, and I know these seem rather bizarre considerations, but when you're designing a page and you've, you've got a very finite amount of space to fill to summarize a 70-inch story, uh, different people will come to different choices. So you don't give them any advice uh, on the headlines? I can, and occasionally I do, but it's their call. Yeah. So on the uh, the two upcoming uh, articles on September 26th and October 3rd, preceded on Friday online uh, versions of these. Yes. Um, what will you focus on? Well, part three, which, as you said, goes online this coming Friday and will be in Sunday's paper, looks at the impact of immigrants on wages and on government budgets uh, to very controversial issues, but basically combined in you know, costs versus benefits. Um, in part four, starts from the premise that the immigration system in the United States is broken and then asks, okay, what now? What can be done to fix it? And, and in one other point on that, on the final day, the part four, this is a tremendously difficult issue. Uh, President George W. Bush tried to get something through Congress and failed. President Barack Obama has tried, and so far, well, he, he is not failed yet, but he certainly hasn't come close to any kind of success. This will be a very hard issue, and, and my prediction is that it will take, I would think, at least another couple of years before anything will pass. But in the meantime, do you, do you see the, the DREAM Act, for instance, uh, passing uh, as, as its attachment to the military uh, budget? I don't know. Uh, I am not 
very good at analyzing the politics of a situation, and there's going to be pushes and pulls on that. There, there will be people who will say, okay, this is must-pass legislation. Let's put it as, hang as much on it as we can and uh, until you know it breaks down. Uh, and then there will be others who will say, wait a second, hold on to the DREAM Act. This is one of the things that might help us get a comprehensive bill through. Uh, in the part three, you're, you're talking about how immigrants have made it easier for people that uh, to maintain their lifestyle. In people at California. the top. At the top, yeah. It's a very different story for people at the bottom. So do you think that's what's driving this non, non-enforcement, uh, that businesses and also um, rich people are hiring uh, people and they don't care if they are well, I, documented I, or not? I think there are a lot of reasons why worksite enforcement has proven to be toothless. One of them is, of course, that employers have a lot of political influence and they don't particularly want to enforce immigration law. Uh, another, though, is that it's really hard to do right. Think about this for a second. If you want to do really hardcore worksite enforcement, then it's going to affect everybody. And the vast majority of people who are applying for jobs are U.S. citizens, and they're not going to be let, they will not enjoy being asked for much better IDs. You know, they, they may say as an abstract matter, yes, I'm willing to do this in order to drive out illegal immigrants, but when push comes to shove, Americans like their conveniences, and they, they don't like being forced to wait. They don't like being forced to give up some of their privacy in order to help control illegal immigration. Hasn't Social Security card become a de facto national ID? If so, it's a very bad one. It is easily forged. Ah. I, I read in your story that somebody uh, presented a photocopy of a Social yeah. Security card. And, and that's, and that's that was pretty common. Hmm. Yeah, because people can't find their card sometimes. Right. And, and you know, it, worksite enforcement, as I said, it's... It, if it's done right, it's going to call for sacrifices from, from many, maybe most, Americans. And our political system is not set up to ask sacrifices very often. I know Arizona, um, the feds came after some colleges that were asking for green card uh, as proof of um, the right to be hired. And it turns out that you can't ask for green cards. I had not seen that. Yeah, I read that in, in the news uh, a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I think. And uh, it turns out you can, they say you can show your social security card and your, uh, uh, I think, a driver's license for ID, I guess. Of course, that doesn't show right to work, but uh, uh, because they are saying that some citizens will ask for green cards and you can't do that. Uh, but of course, you know, we're not required to carry ID. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, technically no national ID. So do you think there's going to be a move towards some kind of national ID? Yes, I do. Hmm. It would be like a passport kind of thing? I don't know that it would be that formal. Hmm. But at some point, if people want really effective worksite enforcement, then there's going to have to be a really effective way of identifying people. And simply showing a Social Security card, which in my case is bent and folded from years of being stored in odd places, uh, isn't going to be enough. Hmm. How about in terms of the stories of the people you talked to for the narrative portion? Did you... Uh, can you recall anybody that stood out? Well, several stood out. Um, in in day one, uh, I profiled Alma Nieto, who was a refugee from the Sandinista government in Nicaragua, a hmm. wonderful lady, 
just in, with an incredible story and very much filled with the joy of life. Uh, just this past Sunday, uh, I profiled Jose Moreno, a college professor, a, a school board president, who, a, as he told me, grew up thinking that his choices were to get A's or get deported. Hmm. And, you know, ju- judging from, from his doctorate from Harvard, he, he was one of those who got A's. Um, in, in, in fact, you know, some of the most bitter complaints I've gotten over the series have been from people who said, why are you portraying these positive people? Why, why don't you go out and interview, you know, a gangbanger or, you know, somebody who's locked up in jail? And, and the answer is really simple. This a story about immigrants and the economy. And each of the people I'm talking with has a job. Mm-hmm. And the job is part of the reason they're in the story to start with. So they contribute to the economy. Well, you know, you can ask whether, you know, this person or that person on net has contributed more than he or she has taken. But I don't know how you answer that question. All I can say is these people are working, and they're immigrants. And in telling the story of immigrant labor, I don't see how you get around talking with immigrants who work. And if that means that instead of doing yet another story about gangbangers in Santa Ana or drug dealers, and, and we do many, many such stories, but I'm doing stories about people who are positive and people see that as a negative, well, too bad. Of course, America is a country of immigration. Um, I mean, the original Native Americans were here. Um, so anybody yeah, after. yeah. From their perspective, the rest of us are all illegal immigrants. They didn't give us permission. Right, and we occupy parts of Mexico. Uh, <laughs> so you could argue that the Mexicans were here originally. Um, so the, um, you know, I was just wondering what the policy is uh, on the web. You know, the web editor has to. Did they have to uh, uh, kick out a lot of? Uh, comments for violating the registers policy or uh, there were there were some or something the first day there were several the second time rather fewer uh, mm. now I don't know if that's because of the change in subject matter from immigrants themselves to US policy or if it's just because as my editor was sometimes rather optimistic put it that, that people learned from the first day that they just couldn't throw in casual racial slurs and expect that we would let them post it. I think one comment uh, slipped in. I remember a reference to wild uh, Indians, Uh, referring to uh, Native Americans, I guess. Um, You know, out of 250-some comments, I'm sure that one or two did slip in. But overall, are you, I mean, did anybody threaten to cancel their subscription? Um, well, I, I'm not sure if this counts. I got a phone call from a guy complaining and saying that it was stories like this that had made him cancel his subscription. Uh, so I, I guess in that sense that we uh, confirmed in someone his his earlier decision to cancel. Oh, he had already canceled. Yeah, but but he was still reading. I actually had canceled, but I ended up buying a copy. <laughs> paying a lot for the Sunday edition uh, when your first issue came up, uh, first article came out, and then uh, I just got too many papers and I can't clip all of them, so I decided I had to cancel one of them. But then uh, the copy yesterday I found in the laundromat actually after somebody had finished reading it. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so I saved myself a dollar fifty or something. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, and uh, do you find that um, 
as time goes on, are you going to continue focusing on this topic or would you uh, focus on some other topic? I expect I'll be focusing on something else. And no, I don't know what that is. And it would de- deal with number crunching also, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I, I expect that I'll be doing more stories that have some numbers in them. Is that the, is the Register the only paper doing this, or are other papers uh, spending that much, much energy on, on numbers? Well, there are several papers that spend a lot of time on stories that engage their readers and where they think that they, as a news organization, have something special to contribute. Uh, for the last month and a half, two months, the LA Times has been doing an absolutely wonderful public service, uh, dissecting the city of Bell, right, and, and making that that city kind of an example of everything that can go wrong in municipal government in California. Uh, there are many other papers that are pursuing other topics that they think are important and investing a lot of time in them. But you know, by the same token. There's many fewer newspaper reporters today than there were even a year ago. So there are fewer and fewer stories like this where an organization like the Register can really put in a lot of effort. There's only so many we can do. Did they remind you that they're spending a lot of money on this no. kind of in-depth reporting? No, it was, was not necessary. I knew it. Ah. So what keeps you there? What I mean, at the paper. They've given me many opportunities. This is simply the latest. Ah. And you feel that you have pretty much uh, control over what you write? There's no censorship? Well, I- if you mean by control of what I write, that no one is telling me change the facts, then absolutely, I have full control. If you mean that I can just go off and do anything I like, well, well no, no. I mean, <laughs> you know, if, 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 if I decided that tomorrow, you know, I'm done with all this investigative stuff, I'm going to go out and, and, and you know, do restaurant reviews, I, I'm pretty certain <laughs> that, that I would be hearing otherwise from my boss in a matter of minutes, if not seconds. And, you know, if I were to propose something really ambitious and they thought it was beyond me or they thought, you know, our readers don't really care about this topic, then they'd say no. Or they'd say you can do one twenty-inch story, then move on. But that's a luxury to give you all this, um, you know, uh, inches, I guess. It it is a luxury. If you look back over the last two weeks, we have given up eight full pages and the better part of uh, four other pages for this story. And that's eight full pages without a single ad. And with footnotes. (laughs) And with footnotes. Uh, you know, this, there is no way from, you know, from, from a simple hard-nosed business standpoint that you can justify this. This is simply an American newspaper doing what American newspapers do best, which is taking a big story and tackling it. Do you expect winning some prizes for this? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I did this because I thought it was an important story and because I thought that I just might be able to pull it off. You know, I write freelance for some alternative papers in the past, and uh, including the OC Weekly and uh, when I was in Michigan, Michigan Free Press, mm-hmm. which were, you know, alternative papers. And I remember at Michigan Free Press especially, I always tried to end stories with some hope to uh, give people a link to some... NGO that was working on an issue, some community group. Uh, do you feel that your articles have given people hope 
I don't know. I just don't know. This is a very big issue. And I'm not sure, you know, whether it will convince people that this is a horrible problem or that it's actually a wonderful thing for California's economy. I've talked with people who had literally those opposite reactions to it. Was it hard to get the data, though? I mean, when you're researching this story, um, how long did it take? And also, was it easy to get the data? Uh, it took several months. The, the basic data was just sitting out there on the census website. Making sense of it, on the other hand, was the work of months. And on the Minnesota Population Study Center website. Right. The IPUMS. IPUMS. IPUMS, yeah, which is the uh, historical data. Right. And, and, and that was invaluable, too, because IPUMS has some of this data going back to 1850. So when I was trying to find out, you know, and I only went back as far as 1900, when I was trying to find out where California workers were born, you know, whether they were born in a different state or overseas, IPMS had that data already organized. I can't imagine terribly many people besides me have asked for it, but they had it. And these are normalized over the years so that they, they are compa comparable. Right. L let me give you an example. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that there are several hundred occupations. Well, the number of occupations counted in each census varies. Some yeah. years uh, CEOs are counted, some years they're not. Some years legislators are counted, some years they're not. Uh, so IPMS made it possible to get all of this information together and then track trends in particular occupations year by year. And I don't think I could possibly have done that on my own. So you, do you uh, come to the conclusion that California is basically, uh, was basically, has been basically a, a state of immigrants? In the broader sense, yes. California has always depended on other places to supply our workforce. For most of the last century, we depended on other states. You know, I, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, New York. Now we depend increasingly on other countries. Which are the top countries the last few years? Mexico, the Philippines, um, Guatemala, El Salvador, China, India. And do you, do you, are you coming to the conclusion that they came here for job opportunities, yes. those people? Mm -hmm. Yes. If, if, if you look at the statistics, a, a typical immigrant is more likely to work than a native, and there's a couple of reasons for that. The first is, of course, that a whole bunch of natives are under 16 or over 65, and so they're not working. Most immigrants come here as adults in the prime working ages. Uh, but the other reason is that while it is possible, even today, for a native to live out prime working years working part-time or not working at all, it is next to impossible for an immigrant household to survive without at least one member working. And, and, so, of course, and of course, yeah. for illegal immigrants, it's all about the work. This is a chance to get an enormous pay raise just by crossing an imaginary line in the desert. It's not about coming here to have a baby so that they'll get U.S. citizenship. Not that I can see. No, I have not seen any numbers that suggest that. What I've seen is people reacting to the most basic of incentives. You can make money if you come to California. Of course, with the recession, now that's gone down, right? 
that's gone down considerably, and, and that's part of the reason why we're beginning to see a decline in the number of illegal immigrants because, you know, to cross the border, unless you're lucky enough to come in on a visa that you then overstay, chances are you're going to be using a, a smuggler, a coyote. They charge. They charge quite a bit of money. Yeah. Uh, and there's really only two ways you can get, three ways you can get that money. One, you can earn it, and it's quite a bit more than you're likely to make in terms of disposable income in one year in Mexico or Central America. Two, you can borrow it from the friendly neighborhood loan shark. Not a bright idea. Three, you can borrow it from a relative who's already in the United States, which I think is what most people do. But if you're cousin or brother in the United States is having a hard time holding on to his job, how likely is he to loan you $5,000 to pay the coyote right now? And if you're in Honduras and you're calling your cousin in L.A. and he's saying things are rough, I'd wait if I were you, are you going to come north when he's saying there are no jobs? So, so that's two good reasons why I think illegal immigration has tailed off the last couple of years. So it's not U.S. Border Patrol enforcement? You know, they're saying it is, and, and maybe that's part of it, but until we are booming again, I'm inclined to be skeptical because there have been rises and falls in, in, in cross-border traffic over the years. And we're in the middle of a huge recession. Is the last five or six are the last five or six thousand border patrol agents that we hired over the last few years that much more effective than the ten or twelve thousand that we had earlier in the decade? Uh, is the last five hundred million that we put into the border patrol that much more effective than the first two and a half billion we put in earlier in the decade? Well, maybe I don't know. But since we've got a recession that we know is having a powerful impact on immigrants, on their decision to come here, on their decision in some cases to even stay here, I don't think, at least I'm not comfortable saying, that border enforcement is behind it. Now, now if on the other hand, two or three years out, we've got a boom and construction is going and, you know, contractors are complaining that they can't get any help because the illegal immigrants haven't come north. Well, then, I think you'll be able to attribute that to the Border Patrol. How about the, the fact that, um, you know, the ICE, I suppose, is cracking down quite a bit and seems to be raiding uh, factories uh, quite a bit? Well, well that, look, look at the numbers. That has no impact. Look at the numbers in terms of how many people are actually arrested in terms of how many uh, employers are actually fined. Um, 2008, which is when we could get the last really solid numbers, there were something like 6,500 worksite arrests. At that time, there were an estimated 8.5 million illegal immigrant workers. You do the math, and it turns out that the odds of an illegal immigrant being arrested at his work site in an ICE raid were about 1,300 to 1 against. That's, that's not much of a deterrent. And also the impact of these raids, sometimes uh, citizens get arrested, right? Because they can't prove that they are actually citizens. There have been instances, that's true, um, and, and ICE gets whipsawed whenever that happens, as it should. But, again, to me, the evidence that worksite enforcement is really making a big difference, the evidence just isn't there. You know, at UCI, uh, a couple of uh, people associated with UCI, a professor and a former graduate student, did a movie about the um, um, workers who came from Mexico before and in uh, other places to work uh, in the farms in the 50s, whatever, and maybe earlier. And uh, that film was, uh, was made called Harvest of Shame. And um, it was a doc, uh, kind of 
documentary. And to them, it's they they were arguing that this was really a kind of a almost slavery kind of situation, where people uh, were contracted to come work in the U.S. and the authorities never listened to them when there were uh, violations of working conditions, um, and people lost their jobs for the flimis, most flimsy reasons. I mean, um, do you feel that if there was a kind of guest card program in future, that there's also subject to abuse potentially? I don't know. Uh, a lot of that would depend on how it is written and how it is administered. Uh, it is no secret that there were abuses in the Bracero program, right, which you, you were referring earlier. Right, right, right. Uh, but how do you set it up so that guest workers, or whatever you call them, are not subject to abuse. Now, now, there's several ways you could do it. You, you could set it up so that they've got a card that entitles them to work anywhere in the United States during a specified period of time, in which case, if they don't like the way that Farmer A is treating them, they leave. And they've got their card, and Farmer A can't do a thing about it. That, that would provide at least some level of protection. Because under the Bracero program, as I understand it, they were basically contracted right. to a farmer, and he could treat them as he wished. Yeah, we had the uh, the uh, directors of that film on our program here, and just amazing footage uh, of people even sprayed with DDT before they were sent to the farms. Um, and, you know, so just outrageous kind of uh, treatment, even before... Well, they went got there. DDT was legal in those days, and there were there were plenty of people who would have said, "Oh, it's harmless; it just kills bugs." <laughs> yeah. So, what, what what's your next project after this? I don't know. My editor has asked me that exact same question. I did not have an answer for him either, but I'm going to have to come up with one. <laughs> right. Well, thank you so much for staying so long on this uh, show. Uh, I enjoyed it, Dan. Uh, me too. <laughs> Thanks, uh, Ronald Campbell, the investigative reporter who has been uh, the writing uh, and getting published a series of articles. The two have already come out on immigration and the California economy in the Orange County Register. Thank you, Ron. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to Subversity here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the regents of the University of California, nor the management of KUCI. This is Dan Zhang signing off for Subversity. Thanks for listening. Next week, we will start a new season here at UC Irvine. Welcome, students.